We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fellas, listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to You know, it was the first time we were able to meet with Josh and sit down with him. We obviously scouted him in the fall, and, and we're excited to see him here. But um, to sit down, we probably spent 30, 35 minutes with each of the quarterbacks here, and that was the first exposure to him, and, and he showed us how smart he was uh, when we got him on the board. Yeah, you know, I thought as the week went on, I thought early in the week, he and some of the guys were rusty. It was, you know, they hadn't played in a little while. And uh, as the week went on, and, and even in the game, you know, I know he threw those two touchdown passes in the second half that uh, everybody, you know, was questioned, knew he could throw it hard, but he threw some touch on the ball, and it was nice to see that he had added that to his game. Everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Brandon Bean from his uh, from a press conference after the Senior Bowl. What was it, ChrisNFL.com? NFL Network. NFLnetwork.com, mm-hmm. whatever. Same people. Folks, the Patriots are Super Bowl champions again. Forget it, I quit. I can't do this anymore, man. My head's about to explode. My whole life sucks. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. My dad just died. We just killed Bambi. I'm out here getting my ass kicked, and every time I drive down the road, I want to jerk the wheel into a goddamn bridge impuntment. All right, so maybe it's not quite that bad. But damn come on. Is there no justice in this world? None. None whatsoever. Well, we have a special guest in studio with us tonight to help us cope, Mr. Nate Geary. How are you doing tonight, sir? We have good friends who are uh, New England Patriots fans. Schofield. Good friends? Schofield. I'd say he's... Good friend. You know what the thing with with Schofield is? It would be easy to dislike him if he didn't like Scrubs and Africa by Toto so much. That he's really become an icon. That's it. I mean, so so I can't have that much animosity towards the guy. I really can't. But did you see? Did you see the signs that the four-month-old 
uh, was attending his second championship parade. I stop it! It's not fair. Life is officially unfair. With that, Mr. Geary, how have you been, and what have you been up to lately? What have I been up to? I, I mean, I saw just a quick follow on Twitter shows that you were in some foreign country. I saw recently, yeah, that's yeah, right. Atlanta, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, definitely a foreign country. <laughs> I was also in Tampa, Florida, which is also... Oh, Jesus, you might as well have been on the moon. Yeah. Christ. Yeah. Did, did anyone, like, did, were you ever in, like, harm's way? In Florida. In Florida. It felt like every time I walked outside, I was in harm's way. <laughs> and here's the thing. So I went to a buffet, right? And it was, like, one of those everything... Like a Pizza Hut lunch no, buffet? No, 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 no. This was more like a large, home-style, like... Basically, anything you could have thought they had at least one of. Like, like Old Country Buffet on steroids. Um, Golden Corral. You know, quality-wise, corralish. Uh, so they had they, they, they advertised well, no an all-you-can-eat can oyster bar. All-you-can-eat oyster bar was, was advertised in this buffet. And I was like, okay, I'm sold. They were terrible oysters. They were uh, awful. You oysters. ate oysters from a buffet. What did you want? You, I don't know some, and, 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 but you ate oysters from a buffet. People are touching them with the. They were <laughs> terrible. <laughs> nope, not going to do it. <sighs> with that said, what were your thoughts on the Super Bowl, sir? Uh, it was terrible. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, let's just. It was terrible. And listen, like I, I understand that a lot of people are like, oh, you know, you just like all this offense, and you know, and. You're just not a real. You're not a true football fan because you didn't enjoy the chess match between Brian Flores and Sean McVay. You know what I say to that person? Fuck you. Exactly. Is it? Fuck you. Like let's watch a let's watch a game that has more than sixteen points scored overall. Not only that, but you know Jared. It should it just should have been Drew Brees. At the end of the day, that Super Bowl would have been much better if it was the New Orleans Saints. Thank you. I, I spent the whole time wondering what the hell am I watching. I mean, the day itself was phenomenal. Every single one, folks, every single one of my, uh, you know, my tips and tricks for how to survive the Super Bowl that mm. we gave out before the game last week, I implemented all of them, and I actually had a pretty good time. But as far, I mean, the mm. day was amazing. I spent the whole time out in the yard smoking and grilling meats and hanging out with my dogs drinking beer. And then mm. as all the food was coming off, it was kickoff, and I felt like I didn't miss a damn thing. And then the game started, and it felt like I was just getting bludgeoned over the head with something. The game was mind-numbingly boring. Mind-numbing, to, to the point where there's a lot of it that I just, there's whole stretches of game that I just can't recall. I can't my, recall, and I'm not subjecting myself to watching it again. My girlfriend isn't necessarily, she's not a huge football fan. She's become a bigger football fan because this was like our first Super Bowl together, and this was like my way of really getting her tied into the offseason, like, this is how you end a football season with the Super Bowl, and then, but you don't really ever end with football. You just kind of go on to the next portion or the next phase of the season. Now it's phase one of the season, but like, what a terrible game to try to Ugh. just being a cat. And did, did you guys see the the TV ratings for New Orleans? Well, that's it. Oh yeah, I I know it was like fifty one percent. Of New Orleans, like, didn't Didn't watch, watch the Super Bowl. They boycotted it. Everybody across the country seemed to boycott it. I mean, you're ta it was the lowest-rated Super Bowl in a decade. The last time ratings were that bad, it was the Cardinals and the Steelers. The Cardinals. As good as L.A. was, they're just, like, they didn't really have that many, 
like cool storylines. If they had won the Super Bowl, I said it last week. If they win the Super Bowl, what you're gonna have a parade for 500 people? It'll yeah. be the shortest parade in human history. That video of that bar after, uh, after the game-winning field goal for LA, and the bar was like, oh, golf claps, <laughs> all golf. <laughs> well, at least at least you didn't have to watch the uh, Super Bowl on an airplane because I was coming mm. back from my cousin's wedding in Gainesville, Florida. And if you've never been to Gainesville, Florida... Sounds worse than Tampa. This is how bad Gainesville is. Combined uh, the Riverside area with Bailey from Clinton to Genesee and the Perry Projects and make that a city. (laughs) That is Gainesville, Florida. It is the scum of the earth. Wow. Now, since I've been to... Strong words. So yeah, since, that's a bold take. Since going, since going, spending the weekend in Gainesville, Florida, I now understand why Tom Petty looked the way he did. <laughs> Tom Petty was from Gainesville? Yes. So was Tim Tebow. Well, he wasn't from Gainesville, but he was in Gainesville long enough to be... To, Tim, you, you would think that some of his attitude... We all know would, Tim Tebow came from heaven. That's <laughs> a great point. And that's a good pivot point right there. There were two highlights of the game for me, folks. Just two. First of all, I won $175 in the, in the zero zero first quarter in my people. squares. And I'll tell you Popular what, one. I wasn't happy about it. My wife goes, I'm, I'm, I'm literally, I, I just took my empty beer can and threw it. And I was like, what, zero points in the first quarter of a Super Bowl. And she goes, but I think you won money. And Chris, you know what happens when I'm already in the mood to rant. I disregard everything anybody has to say. Yeah. So my response was, Oh yeah, was, you do that all the time. Who cares? Oh, and I just... And then it became comical. That and me correctly identifying and tweeting out photos. They did a screen after uh, Goff got sacked on that long sack where he seemed to just, Mm. he didn't recognize the zero blitz because they broke the huddle too late. That was one of the things that blew that game for me. McVay tried to get into a chess match with Bill Belichick. You will never win. Don't play his game. Are you crazy? Yeah, You're going to outsmart that guy? You're fucking high. So, with that said, after he gets sacked, they show this large woman screaming and leaning over the the banner. She's got front row seats clapping, and I realize it's the chick from the Titans game who ate the flag in the stands. Wow, really? Oh, I did see that tweet that you had. It was hilarious! That was the highlight of the game for me. Like, how did they let this animal in here? Much less give her front row seats. How do you have, like, she's obviously... Foaming at the mouth. She obviously is an assistant manager at Family Dollar. Oh, how do you definitely. how do you acquire the Family seats? Dollar? That's what I'm saying. How do you acquire the seats? The team put her up. The team had somebody somebody got involved here. That's that's an abomination. My takeaways from the game are this, Mr. Geary, and I want to pick your brain about this. Mm. This is really this is the coping part of all this because the game was atrocious. The funniest part of the game had to be when my entire basement just turned the halftime show into a giant roast. My friend's mm. wife looked at the other other wives and girlfriends in the room and goes, can you believe that we used to think he was attractive? And they all just took to making fun of his shitty tattoos. Oh, you're talking about Adam, Adam Levine. Adam, Adam Levine. And then Big Boy came out with that fur coat on. Now, I would, I hope that you're not about to put any negativity or negative words behind Big Boy. Oh, yeah. Because that, that, he was the highlight of the show. Chris. Yeah, that jacket. Chris, I wanted it to be like the Ghostbusters when it turned into squirrels and like oh, tried to eat that woman. I was walking walking down the concourse to my, my flight from Baltimore to Buffalo. And I like I saw a TV in the distance and I saw this giant fur coat and I was like, 
I hope that thing turns Honestly, into squirrels. I <laughs> actually had to. I had to ask myself, who is Big Boy? Oh yeah! The only way. Oh, the only way they'd halftime show would have been acceptable is if he opened up the jacket and he actually had Andre three thousand in there and he hey yah. Now see, now that would be great. And he hey yahed his way across. I'm a bit of a Miss Jackson fan. Exactly, hey yah would have been fine. So my personal takeaways from this game: first of all, I wasn't mad. You know, we're cleaning up, and my wife's looking at me, and she's waiting for the inevitable just typhoon of bad, just negativity, and it never came. And she's like, I'm surprised you're taking this so well. And I told her flat out, watching the Rams perform against the Patriots in that game makes me feel better about the Bills situation in a couple different facets. Number one, everybody's been putting us down because over the course of the last season and a half about how, wow, the game is this offense, it's offensively trending. And if you don't have a young, innovative offensive mind running your team, then you're always going to be behind the curve. Really? You scored three fucking points, McVay. You look like a deer in the headlights. You're my age. You looked like I look, I don't know, what, I'm just trying to think. When Larissa said yes, she actually agreed to marry me. That's the <laughs> face I made. Just wide-eyed, stunned amazement. I can't believe this is actually happening. Except his looked a little bit more like he was going to throw up on his shoes. And then I think about our quarterback. It's obvious from that Super Bowl performance. Mm. I, I know a lot's being made in the press. I don't buy into this, uh, you know, oh, is Jared Goff's job safe? Are they going to move on? It's all bullshit. He's, he was the number one overall pick. He's been an effective quarterback, and they've learned how to score. Here's anything. the thing, though, is... Do they feel they could get his level of production from another rookie contract or from an, a, a cheaper quarterback? Now, that is a question, and that's a fair that's question to a ask. That's a fair question, but here's, and I guess this is where I look at our situation, and I feel better about this. I say to myself, this is clearly a team that, for the majority of this season, has had training wheels on Jared Goff. You have a head coach who's making his line adjustments for him, mm-hmm. a, a glorified offensive coordinator with a higher vantage point sitting in a box communicating with him, essentially t- telling him, okay, here's the coverage you have. You know, this time they're running a cover three. You have to make sure you hold that one corner with your eyes, and then given their coverage, this guy will break open. Here's the play design. Well, they went into that Super Bowl with a plan of either, hey, we're going to rush to the line and try to make a play, or we're going to not break the huddle until after the call so that Belichick can't line his defense up against their offense. And it backfired horribly because it turns out without that prompting from the offensive coordinator and his head coach, Jared Goff doesn't do well at reading a defense and finding throwing lanes. Yeah, no, he, I think the, the thing he struggled with the most was identifying pre-snap where the pressure was coming because the pressure was inevitably coming mm-hmm. almost every play because it worked so well early on in that game. What I guess discouraged me and probably discouraged a lot of Rams fans was Goff's inability to not only diagnose it, but to step into it and make throws that, and, mm-hmm. and you looked at that game, they ran, they ran a lot of man, they ran a lot of cover zero and they just yep. man blitzed the hell out of them all yep. game. And some of the, like everyone was talking about, well, what a great game Brian Flores had. Why are we talking about Bill Belichick? This was the Brian Flores game. This was, his innovation, his ability to get after the uh, the opposing quarterback to shut down the second best offense in all of football, and yeah, that's that's a it's probably a great storyline. How hard I, you and I, I mean, without a game plan, could go out there and bring six yep. every play and run cover zero. 
if your defenders are defending, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. You you can be whoever you want to be calling mm-hmm. plays. If your defense is, and on a consistent basis, winning at the line of scrimmage, and Stefan Gilmar had such a great game. I thought he just really shut down. And, and I thought for sure that I just I didn't love the man-on-man matchup with him and Brandon Cooks because I just think Cooks is such an athletic, so fast and, and nimble and, and, and quick in space mm-hmm. that it, it that wasn't a great matchup for Gilmore. Um, but I, I thought it didn't really matter who he was on all game no. because he was blanketing the coverage all over the place. And there was a, a play that I think Goff actually completed, and it was the first time that basically in the game he had made a contested throw to a receiver that made a play to catch the ball. And I think uh, Tony Romo said during that something like along the lines of, these are the sorts of throws that you have to make. This is how you're going to win is by making those throws. Guys aren't open. You have yep. to throw them open. And, yep. and especially if you've got two seconds, no one's open in two seconds. It doesn't matter. It's the NFL. Defenses are shutting guys down for two seconds. That's the way it goes. You have to be able to give yourself an extra of a second and a half to two seconds mm-hmm. to give yourself a legit. But Tom Brady doesn't because Tom Brady knows the moves the defense is making before the defense makes him. Yep. And especially, and, and I was thinking the advantage was going to be to keep to and Nikel Roby Coleman, because those two guys not only played, if you're a keep to but played with Brady, played against Brady every day in practice. And Nikel Roby Coleman, who played against him two times a year for four years, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, these guys might have a leg up. It was the opposite. Tom Brady knew what they were going to do because they played each other so often mm-hmm. that it, as much as I thought that maybe the advantage was was on the other side, it was really Tom Brady's understanding of what those guys were doing. Did did they did Tom Brady win MVP? No, I mean obviously Edelman did, but he played well enough, at, and especially just at towards the end of the game, where in in that like the last two minutes of the third quarter up until the end of the game where he just turns on the efficiency button. Yep. And it just doesn't matter what you do against Tom Brady. If your offense isn't playing pace for pace with him, that that defense is good enough to keep Brady in a situation where they don't have to be overly aggressive. Well, look at the Buffalo and they can, Bills. They, they wanted to be a running team. Look. And they they and, and the thing that I love about the Patriots, uh, mm-hmm. about Bill Belichick, <clears throat> and about... Um, McDaniel's right, and mm-hmm. because I think McDaniel's has a place in this, is understanding that each game, and in some points, games within games, in, at the half, sometimes at the quarter, that they can be one team one quarter and can be a completely different team, both offensive, defensively, mm-hmm. and special teams. They could go from, hey, we want to be an aggressive special teams unit who might fake, who might do this to a super conservative. We have one of the best punters in football. We've got one of the best kickers in football. And they're just every position, they have either sneaky, underrated players that Flowers just had a great game. Hightower, who doesn't get mentioned through all 17 weeks of a regular season, Roll all tight. of a sudden comes in and he just becomes one of the best unstoppable pass rushers in the league. Now, for my part, I watch that and I say to myself, I saw shades of everything the Bills have seen throughout the last two years playing the Patriots. I saw shades of it across the game. The the sweeps to Cordero Patterson that they used to victimize uh, Lorenzo Alexander when they they were there. Yeah. Because they needed him. But they've got such a deep bag of tricks they can dig into, you're never going to make their offense one-dimensional, and that makes them hard for any NFL defense. I know that you look back historically and you see you, you start to look at these the, the Bill Belichick coaching tree, right? Like how most guys haven't been successful. Matt Patricia is looking like another one of the non-successful head coaching candidates that ultimately came from the Bill Belichick coaching tree. We'll see, we'll see with Brian Flores. Um, they bring over the Patriots' assistant offensive coordinator to be their offensive coordinator in Miami. 
Um, I sort of sneaky love that hire by Miami for the, from the Bills standpoint. Um, obviously, I love the Gaze hire. I, I fucking <laughs> love the Gaze hire. Like that's incredible, right? Crazy eyes. Like it's incredible that Gaze was hired within the division again. But I guess for me, I start to look at the the situation between the Bills and the Patriots and the division and the Patriots. Right? Like everybody talks about. Well, would the would any other team have the same dominance the Patriots had if they played in the AFC East? I say no, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. They have made the AFC East look even probably worse than they ha- than they probably mm-hmm. in reality are in any other division. Mm-hmm. But what I'll say is I think this year the, the Patriots are they're vulnerable to having some of their good young players poached from them. And that typically isn't the case going into an offseason is that they usually the, the players they lose, they want to lose. Mm-hmm. Guys like Trent Brown, who have, and, and I got into an argument with somebody online, is like, well, he had one good season. Yeah, and, it, and it's not a coincidence his best season was with the Patriots, and then he was un, basically an undrafted player mm-hmm. who bounced around a little bit. He's six foot eight, 300 something odd pounds, a great athlete, and is your starting left tackle. They've got a great offensive line with Trent Brown, and they've got a first round pick they're ready to in, basically put in the lineup when he's healthy next year. Trent Brown's a, a good candidate to yank. He's 24 years old. Yes. Trey Flowers, 24 years old on the yep. other side of the ball that has really separated himself from early in the year to now as being one of their best young defensive players. There's a really good chance that in the trenches, which they really do believe and they build their team around trenches. Mm-hmm. That well, you, you have could, to. If, if you're a smart Bills, football team, that's what you do. If I'm, if I'm the Bills, I'm going after one or both of those players, and I'm trying to take them not only because I think that they could really be an asset for the Bills and for your team, but knowing that you are doing damage to the to the New England Patriots, I, I just every time the Bills or any other in division opponent has gone after Patriots players, it's been after the Patriots were done and, and done with them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity to sort of hit them where it hurts this year, and I <sighs> hope either the I would like it for the be the Bills. I just don't know. And, and, and what Brandon Bean said in the letter to, to season ticket holders I thought was interesting because he sort of set up, at least in my opinion, the idea. He instilled the idea of failure before it even really got kicked off, right? Mm-hmm. Like calculated, using yeah. verbiage that almost is like, listen, if we don't get it, we don't get it kind of thing. And I, I think we've all had the skepticism of is this team really going to be able to go out and command top quality free agents? Without having to grossly overpay them, probably like I and, and they're gonna have to do that. I just hope that it's to a point like Starla Tule. I don't. I'm not a big star oh. fan. They overpaid him. Um, he's the highest paid player next year for a guy that There's you know so much keeps f- the linebackers clean. And listen, I, I I I am not minimizing that. I understand his role. I know that it's important, and I know every team needs sort of an anchor. Um, but eleven million dollars for a guy that that eats up blockers. I can find people. His size that could eat up two blocks, well, and, and that's why free agency is so important. That's why free agency is so important, and ultimately it, it can make or break your team. And I I like the things that I'm hearing, but at the same time, like you said, it comes down to execution on that front, which is why I'm so I'm so amped to just get into this. I think I think like for for me though, I, it can be a successful season off season if they don't go out and get Demarcus Lawrence or like a big time big name free agent if they got. Six or seven starting caliber depth. If let's let's say altogether between depth and starting, they ended up with eleven new players in free agency mm-hmm. that were either depth or five million and below per year. That you've probably made your team much better as a whole, and then you go and try to draft guys that turn in to superstars. I, everyone's talking about the Bills training back. The Bills have 
traded up two years uh, since Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have been around. They trade up a lot. Well, the one thing that I like about that is that it, it shows that we have a GM who's active. And the free agency moves that we've made have seemed to have paid off over the last few years. I mean, I would say the Star Latula. That, it's moves like that that make you question what's going to happen. You know what? We were going to do the Bills News update here, but I'm, I'm itching. We're going to get yeah, right into we're this. Scratching. We're going to get right into this right off the bat. Free agency, offensive preview. I take a look at the Bills cap situation right now as we stand today. We know they have holes on defense, but the offense is really where... And they're likely going to add more holes, right? They have to. You're talking about $78 million as of today. $84 million with the inevitable, I think, release of Charles Clay and Vlad Dikas. Right. And then it could go up to as much as $91 million once the annual revenue split, you know, the, once the annual revenue is announced and the salary cap increases comes out. Once that happens, we're sitting at about 90 to $91 million. It's a really interesting place on the offensive side of the ball to start the free agency conversation because, A, it's likely we're going we're gonna to see the biggest makeover in terms of spending, and there's enough figures and facts out there to, pr- I think, prove that this is where it should be. The average NFL team last year spent $64.1 million on the offensive side of the ball. The Buffalo Bills didn't even come close they spent just $42 million. That's just 22% wow. of your total salary cap on the offensive side of the football. And then you wonder why they were so bad. I mean, think well, about they this. they had twice, two and a half times the amount of dead cap than they had offensive spend. So. And heading into 2019, $22.7 million. That's all we have in active contracts allocated to the offense. We ranked 31st in the NFL in total offensive production, just above the Jets, and the Jets spent just about as much as we did. Well, they got Adam Gase, so. (laughs) So, I look at what the team's philosophy is first and foremost. There's a lot to be said for how a team who's in such a dire situation in terms of need for talent, how they approach things. Now, as Bills fans, we've seen different GMs and different coaches approach things differently. Doug Whaley tried to build his roster by signing a ton of short-term one- and two-year deals that really left the team light on overall talent and exacerbated every single miss. I mean, think Percy Harvin, the Marcel Darius extension, signing Tyrod Taylor to an extension. These were moves that you made one year, three years at a time for each player. Where did you get with any of them? Yeah, and, and, and I think, too, you look at teams like the Browns. Well, why are the Browns trending upwards? Well, it's because they've got all these really great high first-round, top-of-the-draft picks that eventually are going to come up. A guy like Miles Garrett comes to mind. Like They're going to come around and spend Jerry Hughes, a little probably more than Jerry Hughes made on, on that big contract. But think about that. A guy like Miles Garrett will probably get, as a whole, on his contract, Twenty million more, and maybe that's spread over two years. Twenty million, so ten million per year more, mm-hmm. not as like a total for the contract. But that's Miles Garrett, and that's Jerry Hughes. And Jerry Hughes yep. had a really good season. And I'm not taking anything away from Jerry Hughes, but you'll look at the 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 profile of player of a guy like Miles Garrett compared to Jerry Hughes. The Bills have always they've always had a method of trying to re-sign and keep your own talent, which I think is always important. I think you want to do that. They've just been re-signing talent that wasn't very good. Exactly. Or that wasn't good enough. Well, and that was, and then you looked at some of the GMs who went out and swung for the fences. Buddy Nix comes to mind. Yeah. Buddy Nix went out and thought that his way of making us a T. winner o. was to go out and, okay, we're going to bring in T.O. 
Okay, that didn't work. We're going to go out and we are going to spend whatever it takes to get Mario Williams into a Bills jersey. And before him, Marv Levy thought he was going to fix the offense. But for those of you who are old enough to remember or paying attention, when they said, we're going to revamp this offensive line, we're going to bring in Derek Dockery and Langston Walker in free agency. These two mammoth offensive linemen. Only to find out that the offensive coordinator that they brought in wanted to run an up-tempo offense (laughs) that two huge, massive human beings can't possibly run. They both ended up being cut before the end of their deals. I mean, there are any number of ways to go out there and approach this. Now, what I liked was at the end of the end of the season, Brandon Bean at his initial press conference, right after everything ended, he had an interesting answer when a reporter asked him about how aggressive he planned on being in free agency. Judicious is probably the word I would use instead of aggressive. Um, you know, if you're not wise with it, you can be back to where it was when I walked here, walked in the door here. Um, so we definitely want to fill holes in free agency. Um, I think I've said it before. Uh, you use free agency to help you so you're not going to draft, you know, in April with all these holes. And now you're drafting for need. I promise you drafting for need is a mistake that can set franchises back. And I'm not going to do that as long as I'm in charge here. Brandon Bean, end of season press conference, buffalobills.com. That's refreshingly candid. Mm. I, for for a, a staff that says nothing, I mean, Sean McDermott is walking Ambien. The man could put anyone to sleep mm. with his press conferences. Hearing that from a GM who essentially says, look, I know you guys want to know how quickly I'm going to burn through this $91 million. I just don't feel like... It's not the year to do it, though. Either. No. And, and I do think, like... They have a unique opportunity to sell certain position players. I think maybe most notably the wide receiver position. And a guy like Terrell Williams that's still young, 26 years old, um, has, has had success, has played with a veteran quarterback, understands having new offensive coordinators and new systems kind of being put on you like that with the transition from McCoy over to uh, Anthony Lynn and, and, and everything that kind of happened in between that. But I guess for me, what I look at, is for this offseason to be really successful, I think what he says rings true, is that it's finding the the grout pieces. It's finding the things to build in between your building blocks. I think you get your building blocks through the draft, and you get the pieces that hold those building blocks in place to, to prop them up to be successful. Those are the guys you get in free agency. I think the smart teams do that in free agency. They, the, the, the smart teams don't go out in free agency and hope that they're going to go land a guy that's a game-breaker. Thank you. A, because here's the thing. You're always going to overpay for that guy, and you're never going to get the full value of production that they gave you or they gave their prior team for the first five years of the rookie contract. It's just it's just not going to happen. But I think you look at it at a at, at player like Terrell Williams, who is probably going to get overpaid this, this, this free agent cycle because I think he's one of the better young receivers available. However, what he's mostly going to hear from teams like, I, I think you look at a team like Indianapolis has a ton of money to spend and say, hey, you can come in here, be the number two receiver next to T.Y. Hilton, probably the third target behind Ebron and T.Y. Hilton. Okay, that's not a bad situation. Okay, uh, New York comes calling. We've got a hundred and something in, in cap space. Terrell, yeah, we're looking for another weapon in our offense, but you're going to be between, behind Quincy Anudwa and Robbie Anderson and we've also really liked Chris Menden, our, our tight end that we have. And also we might get Lev Bell. So you might be the fourth horse making a good a good amount of money. Mm-hmm. 
that that probably so those two situations are two teams that have more cap space than the Bills. The only two teams that have more cap space than the Bills. And then you then you get to the Bills, and the Bills say, "Well, we're not going to give you eleven million a year, but we're going to give you nine million a year and an opportunity to fight to be our wide receiver one and be the guy here." When maybe they don't, maybe the Bills don't draft a receiver, and I think a lot of people are thinking they're going to draft one high. And no, don't maybe do DK that. Metcalf is that guy. Maybe I'd they can figure a- out why. But I am not a real big believer in drafting wide receivers that high unless they are Calvin Johnson. They, they just can't they, be missed. I, I up top. That's what I'm talking about. I drafting wide receivers. There is a learning curve to that position. There's a big time learning that, curve. And I mean, unless Demarius you have, Thomas was not an effective wide receiver until his third season. Yeah, but well, Demarius Thomas is an interesting case because he came from a system that he wasn't very utilized in a triple option system Fair. in college. Same with Calvin Johnson, though. You just mentioned Calvin. He came from Georgia Tech. He came from the same yeah the same system that produced uh, Demarius Thomas. And I guess for me, I look at the wide receiver position. Unless you have traits that can bridge a gap. Yep. I look at guys like Juju Smith-Schuster had traits that could bridge the learning curve in the NFL. Yep. He had mental traits. And maybe those are becoming more important. Cooper Cup, guys like that that have been these four-year success stories that just didn't happen overnight. Those are the guys that can come in and are a little bit more ready to play right away yep. than the league. A guy like DK Metcalf is super intriguing to me because he had the neck injury. He was in an offense that didn't know how to utilize him or the five other first potential first-round picks they had in that offense. Not only that, but I think you look at a guy with his skill set. He's, he's the clear-cut number one wide receiver in this draft. Well, Do you take a guy that doesn't have the – because they, they took the guy that had the production in Zay Jones. He's the guy – he's one of the most prolific wide receivers in all of college football history. And he hasn't necessarily come to fruition. And it's, we're going into year three – hoping Zay Jones becomes the receiver that we drafted, right? So that took three years. Well, two full seasons going into year three before mm-hmm. that happened. And maybe Robert Foster is expedited this process. And, you know, Brad Kelly of the Draft Network, I had him on my show on Saturday, talking about Robert Foster. Robert Foster was one of the top high school athletes coming into Alabama. Yep. Two shoulder, shoulder surgeries ended two seasons I for know. Robert Foster. Hey, you're talking to a guy who so watches you, Alabama. So... I, <laughs> Guys like that, those are the types of guys that, guys like Joe Shane, um, guys that are your your the meat and potatoes of your 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 uh, scouting staff. Those are the guys that they go and get paid good money to go find. And that's my, it's not the DK Metcalf. It's the Robert Foster. And that's why I love this free agent process because it's setting you up for the draft. Very just to what Bean just said. You set yourself up for successful drafts by identifying the pieces in free agency that will keep you from having to reach for anything. Here's a guy we can live with versus here's a guy, to your point, I mean, that's what it is. Are you going for the big splash versus are you going for meticulous talent acquisition? The two comparisons I have here for the Buffalo Bills, the signings of Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde versus the signing of Mario Williams. One of them was a, I'm going to change the face of this franchise by dropping $100 million. The other was, hey, I see two guys who are maybe a little undervalued on their current team, haven't gotten an opportunity to start consistently, haven't seen a lot of time. I think, based on our scouting reports, they can be useful and they're being undervalued. So I'm going to go get those guys and give them the opportunity that they've earned. And the coaching, because McDermott knows the D-backs. But it turns out that it worked. Whereas Mario Williams eventually quit, flamed out of the NFL, and no one's heard of him since. That one set our franchise back, whereas this one seems to be still, I mean, I, they're, they're grossly underpaid 
for being what I think is the best tandem of safeties in the AFC. So with that said, there are different ways to approach this. With And it just depends on what it is you view as success. Now, I think fans need to temper their expectations. I see more Hyde and Poyer type signings this year mm. than I do the Mario that's Williams signing. That's fine, though. I mean, think about how important Hyde and Poyer are to this defense. And that's why, like, for me, going out and getting a veteran cornerback to be your, your, your CB2 this year so that you can slot Oh, you mean like Vontae level. Davis. I hear, I, he, I, listen, I hear he's not Well, right. He's, he's not doing anything right <laughs> now. Um, Fuck that guy. But... I, I just I look at it from this point of view, right? Like, I really like what you have in your three out of four positions at defensive back. Levi Wallace, I think, is a very nice, bright future. Another Alabama guy that that whatever happened, it just didn't work out for him, and then he ends up tearing his Achilles tendon before the draft during his pro day, and crazy stuff happens with him, and he becomes available. And the Bills in the second half of the season, he was one of their best players. Defensively, at least by the numbers, and especially at the quarterback position. So maybe you have two really good young guys, but why not go get a guy that has one or two years left to give to maybe slot him as your cornerback four? But right? see, now you, and so essentially what you're saying about Levi Wallace rings true for a guy like Robert Foster. Here's the same guy who fits the exact same profile. And when you're I, looking at our offense, I am I'm cautiously optimistic that Robert Foster is the answer for your second wide receiver position. Well, oh, so really? I'm I cautiously I, optimistic I, about that. Just sworn you said. Uh, Otherwise, at some point last season. Did I? We're going to go. Oh, oh, I was uh-oh. not here comes, a Robert Foster fan. Uh, here comes Chris like CNN with the fact checker. Thanks, 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 Don Lamont. Okay, he, thanks, here he man. comes with his stupid mohawk. He's no, fact he's checking. right though. Listen, like after training camp, I, w- I went to multiple training camp practices. Every time I walked away from practice, I left less and less impressed by Robert Foster. Then the preseason came. And then I was like, there is no way this guy makes the team. No shot. I put him as like the second or third from the bottom of the roster for him to make the team. They saw the potential. They kept him for the potential, and they kept him over guys. Uh, oh, why do I always Brandon, Brandon Riley. Riley? Brandon Riley, but not Brandon Riley. Who was the other one that we cut for the second year row after last year? He got hurt in preseason. He was going to make the team. Rod Streeter. Rod Streeter. I, I had to talk to myself to get that to come out. But Rod Streeter, another guy, right? Like, so there were guys that were lovable, guys that you could have brought in because of their work ethic and because you thought maybe they could help us, right? They, they, the Bills needed veteran presence at the wide receiver position with, with really nobody at the top of the lineup, and, and we don't know what we're going to do. Well, the last time go. we tried to do that, the guy quit on us before the season even started. That's right. <laughs> so That's right. I don't know. I, it's, it's interesting because with Robert Foster, I was very down on him from the beginning. And then when he got cut, I was like, okay – that's about right. I, I kind of figured this was coming eventually. He got an opportunity. It didn't work. Then he came back, and he was a different player. Yep. It, it, it clicked for him. And, and you know what? I think you look at the league, and you look at players that come from big programs. Sometimes it really it, – it, it takes longer than others. Sometimes it takes five years. The wide receiver years. position is Sometimes crazy. it takes five years, but not even for wide receivers, just players in general, because you go from always sort of being given things – and then you get to the NFL and you realize it doesn't matter if you're Joey Bosa or if you're somebody else that all and, and there were question marks about Joey Bosa after he came out. Like guys that come from backgrounds of not necessarily I don't want to make it seem like I'm saying guys don't work to be where they are because they do. But I guess for me it's those guys that never really had to be pushed or told, "Hey, there's somebody behind you" or "There's someone who's making less money" or something along those lines like 
you realize quickly in the NFL it's a business. Some guys it takes longer than others. Josh Josh Gordon, by the way, we, we should have a Josh a five minute Josh Gordon conversation before the show's over because I have hot takes about it. But go ahead. Okay. So but no, but that underscores some of these guys who it takes a while to click for. Just because a team drafted a guy and he didn't flourish there doesn't mean he can't go somewhere else and right. succeed, which is why free agency is so interesting. So when I look at the Bills roster today, breaking down the offense, position by position, just what do I see? We're the running back position. For 2019, we have a cap allocation of $13.2 million. Do you know how fucking crazy that is? I mean, for lack of offensive spending that we did in 2018, the Bills were number one in the NFL with be- with running back money at 11.4. And they've actually jumped it up since then. The league average at the running back position is $4.9 million. We are the biggest outliers that exist in this category. And that money is allocated to a running back who's over 30 years old. I don't know that that's wise roster construction. The league trend has been that young running backs with upside in the draft. You're, you're, you look at these combinations that exist. Kamara got drafted when they already had, the Saints already had Mark Ingram. Delvin Cook got drafted when Adrian Peterson was technically still kind of in the picture. They dis- teams are getting younger at this position rather than paying veteran talent because that seems to be the trend. And yet here we are just laughing in the face of that for some reason. And in 2019, we're already the second highest team in the NFL in running back spending next to Jacksonville. I mean, that, that, that sticks in my craw. Then you get the tight end position. 2019 cap allocation, just $570,000. A lot of people have been surprised when I tell them that right now, Jason Kroom is the only tight end currently under contract for 2019 outside of Charles Clay. Behind that, what do we have? Bueller, 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 Bueller. I mean, I get it. Tight end isn't, it's a position that, well, you don't need to have. You don't have to have the deepest position in the draft. You don't have to have a Gronkowski. No. You don't have to have, uh, Jesus Christ, why can't I think of his name from the the, the Chiefs? Travis Kelsey. Trav? You don't have to have a Kelsey. You don't have to have that dynamic offensive, all-around offensive threat to have a functional offense. But you do have to have a tight end who can run block. Who can run block, who's readily available to play 14 games a year? I mean, we'll take 14 games a year from our tight end. Right now, Jason Kroon, not a a terrible player, but at the same time, he's a a converted wide receiver. He's a a good option to be your, your tight end two or three. Yes, he he can't run block consistently still. He sure as hell can't play on the line next to a tackle. So no, I agree with that. Th- this is a position that they are going to have no choice but to address, but you don't have to break the bank. Somewhere along I don't the think line, they should, I don't think they should take one in free agency. Uh, neither do I. I think you could get two starters. The most, team, two. most teams agree with you because the league spending, the average in league spending, was just $5.6 million last year. The Bills had double that and got less production than anyone. And, and it's such a good point, too, because you look around the league, there are a couple of offenses that build their offense around the tight end position. The Tennessee Titans wanted to, and they put all of their money into the Delaney Walker train. Oh, and then he got you hurt knew he was going to get old. And then he got hurt week one, and that offense had no direction after that. And yet their, had, their offensive coordinator ended up getting a head coaching position. But that's neither here nor there. Hashtag Matt LaFleur. 
Um, <laughs> but you know what I will say is that it does it. Teams that have a really great tight end um, are, are, if you look around the league, most of them are good offenses that have really good tight ends. Yes. And, and I look at the one guy that I think maybe the Bills could, could make a run at, if not through trade, because I think ultimately there isn't going to be a trade market for him because of the price tag he just re-signed last year. And don't even get me going about Tampa Bay because I think they're the worst managed fucking football team. Nah, we're going to talk about. Football. We're going to talk about that. Jason in a Light is wait. the worst GM. He is Ryan Grigson. He's the current <laughs> Ryan Grigson of the league. Because let me just tell you about Tampa Bay. Let me just tell you about Tampa Bay. If I was a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, if I was a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, I would be. You'd on consider suicide switching watch. to Miami. They are the. They're just. Listen, I love Bruce Arians. What are you doing, Bruce? Why would you sign on to go to that fucking team? They're a train wreck. No, no pun intended to our friends over at Trainwreck Sports. They are a fucking train wreck. <laughs> Let me just. And, and the reason that I look at it is they spent a first round pick on a defensive tackle last year. They're about to cut their franchise defensive tackle Gerald McCoy so they can just go draft a second year in a row a defensive tackle in the first round. So that they can, uh, and then what? They're going to try and maybe get a running back at Lev Bell, or they're going to try to go get one. They're going to bring back Jameis Winston, who I just think at this point, his career is over. I don't think he's a very good player. Stop touching I, women I, and stealing crab legs. Maybe, you know what? Knock it, it off. May, that might be a Seagram's bet. Is <laughs> I don't think that Jameis Winston makes it out of the rest, out of next season as the starting <laughs> quarterback for 2020. That. And that, first of all, I don't like Jameis Winston. I never did. I thought he was sort of a punk. I don't think he's very good at football on top of being worth the mess that he is. I thought he was good right up until I watched him get Rochambeau'd by Oregon in the play-in game for the national title. It just he didn't look special. And then when they took him, like they took him number one overall, and in my head, his I mechanics go, are fugly. And they that's, did, and fugly is fucking ugly. Just I so you lo- know, I look at a guy like Josh Allen, who everyone hated his mechanics and said, "Oh, this guy just plays cowboy football. He's an athlete, not a quarterback." Yeah, but you know, at least when he's in the pocket and he throws the football, he looks like a quarterback. Thank he look you. Like he's shot, but a football. He, he learned. Steps into the pocket. He too. learned. He, th- this kid hasn't. You know what? Now that we're talking about Tampa Bay, you're going to force me to. Sh- I got to move on to the. I'm going to skip a position group because there you want to talk about Tampa Bay hatred. We're going to talk about the wide receiver position for the Buffalo Bills in the NFL. Okay. The Buffalo Bills currently have for 2019 allocated to our cap five point nine million dollars. That's it. That should change. This okay? That there was two positions on this entire team last year. That really took it on the chin. We had fifty million in dead money, and the team needed a place to kind of cheap out. Wide receiver was absolutely one of them. Okay, now outside of that wannabe tight end, Kelvin Benjamin, the team had no significant financial investments at the position. When and then when you consider how long it takes NFL wide receivers to acclimate to the pro game, what did we have? We had. Uh, a rookie in Isaiah McKenzie, or what was he a second-year second year player? player. Yep. We had a, an undrafted free agent rookie in Robert Foster. We had a second-year player in Zay Jones. And we had this bum sucking up $8 million. Yeah. Who, that, that's what we had. We had uh, Andre Holmes, who I genuinely forgot for a huge chunk of the season was even on the team. I can absolutely see this being something that the team addresses. Now, here's what I'll say. You can't put the cart before the horse. And this is where fans are probably going to yell at me. But I don't give a fuck because I don't have to listen to you. This is my Mm -hmm. show. You're probably going to yell at your radios and say, Drew, you're high. 
Drew, you've had too many moose heads. Well, unless you're Isaiah Those are fair Mc- assessments. Unless you're Isaiah McKenzie. <laughs> he drives the cart. Here's the thing. Only four of the top ten wide receiver spending teams made the playoffs. Indy, Chicago, the Chargers, and the Seahawks. You know what those four teams have in common? They all have Pro Bowl caliber or franchise quarterbacks. Okay? Three teams in the top ten for wide receiver spending spent more on wide receivers than on their offensive line. Tampa Bay, Arizona, and Miami. <laughs> they had a 15-33 and 33 combined record. Tampa Bay was the number was number one in terms of passing yards and passing yards per game, which is an absolute fucking outlier. Most of those games, it wasn't they were down. Most and of those they're games, they were behind. down, and it was Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. They yeah. don't even have him around anymore. Outside of that, you see Miami, the thirtieth ranked passing team, Arizona, thirty second, bottom of the league, yet they were. High in wide receiver spending. Yeah, and, uh, and, and what s- on on Larry Fitz? Because that's it, right? But they only spent two million dollars on their offensive line. Well, their offensive line was worse. They, they were they were the they spent two million dollars on an offensive line. They're G- they fired their coach. Their GM should have been beaten with bars of Steve soap Marks. wrapped in towels. Like this was Full Metal Jacket. That's what that's what happens when you spend two million dollars on your offensive line and fourteen on wide receivers. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. And, and what I. I would say 80% of the spend was on one guy, on Larry Fitzgerald. And now here is the cardinal point I'm going to make about wide receivers, and I can't even take credit for it. I was, I, I, I'm an aggregator of football information. I like to, unless it's coming from WGR, I'm sorry. <laughs> Some of those guys can kiss my ass. If you're on the radio, I love you. I listen to it. I, lo- I love Tony Caligiri. That's one of my you favorite shows. Cal. But I, I'll tell you what. I, I, I kind of scour the internet for football mm. information, real in-depth football information, and Field Gulls, the SB Nation affiliate field for the Gulls? Se- field Gulls. Seahawks. The G- Seahawks SB Nation affiliate. <laughs> their kind of, okay. their, their leader, Kenny Arthur, he wrote a really great article that I'm going to link in the description of the show that I urge you all to go check out about why free agency is the worst thing to happen to football. But he wrote specifically about wide receivers. Only two wide receivers had over 1,000 yards last season with a team that did not draft them. Wow. Robert Woods of the Los Angeles Rams. Who was a great pickup. Brandon Cooks of the Los Angeles wow. Rams. And then if you want to get in on a technicality, Amari Cooper, he split time between two teams last year. Those are the only three players who changed teams in the offseason or during the season that got 1,000 yards. Everybody else regressed, okay? Other wide, notable wide receivers who flopped for the money they're getting paid. Landry. Jarvis Landry got tagged and traded. 14, I never thought he was worth the money. A $14 million a year contract. He had 976 yards and four touchdowns. Sammy Watkins. Sammy Watkins. Seven seven point eight million he got paid, wow. which is going to increase to nineteen million dollars yeah. in cap hit next year. He had five hundred and nineteen yards receiving and three touchdowns. Allen Robinson, eleven point eight million, seven hundred and fifty four yards, four touchdowns. Compare those statistics. Look at Sammy Watkins, for instance, seven point eight, five hundred and nineteen and three touches. 
Robert Foster had 541 yards and three touchdowns and made less than $700,000. Now, that's not to say that I don't want the team to upgrade at this position, but I want to underscore how easy it is to miss in free agency signing wide receivers from other teams. Yeah, but if you sign as a wide receiver here in Buffalo, there's a good chance we'll give you a key to the city. <laughs> Byron Brown's being Literally, the there is a, there's a, like a... A, a, like one in two chance because they don't really Ugh. sign wide receivers in free agency. I know Tyrell Williams, John Brown. We'll give you a key to the city. You know that that's an interesting. You know you, that you bring up John Brown or Tyrell. Like those are the two guys that I think a lot of people are familiar with. That, they, that I think a lot of people would be comfortable going after. I, I, I look at this from two points of view. I'd like the Bills because I just like the numbers game. I think that eventually, if next year, if your wide receivers are Tyrell Williams, who you get in free agency. Robert Foster, Zay Jones, Isaiah McKenzie. That's four right there. You add in a draft pick, a personal opinion, personal preference, Debo Samuel, a Riley Ridley, a Kelvin Harmon. You, you add one of those three guys, and those are your five receivers going into next year. Then you add in another one. I don't know. I don't care who you add in as a sixth receiver because he's your sixth receiver. Who fucking cares? But what I'll say is if, if you're going in there, that's very young. It's a good outlook. It's not ideal, though. Like, you don't have an A.J. Green. You don't have a Julio Jones. But look at the teams that have A.J. Green and Julio Jones. I, I mean, they, they, one of them went to the Super Bowl once. The other team hasn't won a playoff game. So you, it, I guess it's, it's, it's a, you and it's I are gonna a have balance. A, you and you I are going to have a fight. It's coming. But i got to delay it for two seconds because okay. we have one more position to talk about. Okay. And that's the offensive line. Okay? The offensive Mitchell line. Mitchell Morris. Now, I, oh. oh, we're going to have two fights. I can't wait. This is incredible for me. Right there. Not interested. Bang! Not interested. Why? Just, just wait, because I'm about to explain it. <laughs> Offensive line outlook for the, off, for the Buffalo Bills heading into the 2019 season and into free agency. For 2019, we have a cap allocation right now of just $6.4 million. Now, I banged this drum all year last year. The Bills spent $12 million on their entire offensive line last season. That's absurd when Taylor Lewan is making 16 a year by himself. Yeah. That is it's an abomination but again, they they the Bills with 50 million in dead money said okay, wide receivers, offensive line, you guys are going to be the whipping boys this season. We are going to take you to the woodshed and hopefully next year we replace all of you so none of you like there's no we're just going to wash this all away. We're going to wash a lot of what's here away yeah. and just come in with something new. But Jesus, it's one that's of particular interest of fans because we saw the struggle. Look at our rushing attack. Fell apart. Something that was supposed to carry a rookie quarterback. But you couldn't. Now it was something that ineffective. So when you look into it, I I get why fans are like, let's go throw money at the first guy's name I can think of. The problem is, as Bills fans, we have found out over the years, offensive linemen are not all created equal. There are a lot, and you especially with your draft background and your analysis background, you can understand this. Not, not every offensive lineman out there can switch schemes seamlessly. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. There's zone blocking, there's gap blocking, there's man blocking. And if some of you, depending on the scheme, will excel in one versus the other. And if an offense signs a guy just because of his previous success in a different system, he may very well not fit what you're trying to do. So... You can very quickly 
set yourself back as a franchise by throwing a ton of money at the wrong style of player. Hopefully your team's smart enough to avoid it, and we have to hope ours is. In 2018, the bottom five in offensive line spending, Arizona, Jacksonville, Buffalo, Denver, and the Giants. They had a, All playoff teams. They had a 22-55 combined record. Only Denver finished higher than 27th in total, uh, total yards, offensive yards they were per 25th? game. 25th? <laughs> no, they actually found their way to 19th because they really? had Phillip Lindsay and they oh, played right. the Raiders and Chiefs. All oh, right. Those teams feature running backs, Pro Bowl Phillip Lindsay, Saquon Barkley, David Johnson, LaShawn McCoy, and Leonard Fournette are on each one of those teams. And yet those teams were in the basement in terms of offensive production. They also had stud wide receivers, OBJ, Larry Fitzgerald, at least, well, nobody's calling Calvin Benjamin a stud. Demarius Thomas was, he was on Denver for half a, almost a third of a season, we'll call it. So with that said, the evidence, everything I'm seeing at my disposal just tells me, or at least points to the fact that unless you have an elite quarterback, not investing in your offensive line is going to mute the contributions of every one of your skill players. It's going to take away from what your quarterback is capable of producing, what you're running, the load your running backs are able to carry for your offense. It just shuts, it kills everything you're trying to do. It's like, hey, I'm going to run a race, and then I shoot you in the foot and take off running. It's not like rocket surgery. It- and if, even I know, even I know you build from the inside out. Do you even know what you just said? Yeah. I don't think you do. It's called a uh, Rickyism. It you, is definitely a Rickyism. It's, you watch it's, tra- all, it's all water under the fridge, okay? Yes. Learn to watch Trailer right. Park. It's all boys. water under you the fridge. You build from the inside out. Nobody wants to eat seven cans of ravioli, okay? But we do. Uh, why don't you like Mitchell Morris? We're going to get to that in a second. Okay. Here's just the underlying point I'm trying to make about offensive line. On average, higher percentage of every, every team in the NFL spends a higher percentage of their cap on the offensive line than any other offensive position, which is the way it should be because that's how you function. Look at the Cowboys. Can you point to one star receiver before they got Amari Cooper? You well, can point they also to, weren't very good before they didn't have but, but you can point to Ezekiel Elliott and say, okay, he's had a couple good seasons. You can point to, hey, they still find a way to stay in games. They've made the playoffs. Here's what what I'm saying is when you spend at the offensive line, you're giving everybody else a shot. You're giving them at least a chance to function. That's not guaranteeing production. But you're at least giving them a better chance than you would be sandbagging. Like, think about how bad I feel for Rosen knowing that they literally paid – $2 $2 million for their whole line. Just a whole bunch of undrafted free agents and scrap heap guys on veteran minimum contracts. And then they asked a rookie quarterback to go stand behind that and wondered why they won three games. And then they fired their coach. If I'm the coach and they told me they fi- that they were firing me because I won three games with a $2 million offensive line, I would fight my way out of the building. <laughs> and, I, and I would steal something. I would take something. We know me. you would steal something. I'd, oh, it, it would be an abomination. You'd steal the secretary's virginity. Okay. <laughs> I, there would be something. Something terrible would happen if you tried to have that conversation with me because that's how important the offensive line is. And it's proven. It's proven through the spending and through the standings and the statistics. And it makes me want to vomit thinking how little we paid attention to it. Don't vomit. 
So with that said, I'm looking at how we're going to spend our money. And I think offensive line, it's almost the inverse of what we just talked about. Running back is the last offensive line and wide receiver have to be towards the top of the list. Everybody at this point has a short list of names they already know that they can throw out. And Nate, you haven't been shy this entire podcast. You brought up a couple guys that I am already not interested in. center sage is center mitch morse your boy nate your boy why don't you explain to me why you want him he's 27 okay it's a big boy six <laughs> foot five okay three and some change okay uh mostly though i look at the age at 27 you look at the free agents at the offensive line position all the good ones are 30 plus when you can find a one that is under 30 years old uh, that's one you, you, you definitely look at. Now, I think you'll look at the injuries as a negative uh, for Mitchell Morris. Uh, a, a number of injuries, his availability has not been there. But this year, in front of Patrick Mahomes, was a big reason why I think he had his success. And I think he was a big reason why that offensive line uh, was a non-story all year. And, and if you're an offensive line... I think what you want to avoid at all costs is being talked about because you're either too good or you're overrated or you're being talked about too much or you're being talked about because you're shit and you're terrible. I think it's the offensive lines that fly under the radar that are the best offensive lines and the most consistent offensive lines in football. And what I like about Mitchell Morse is his ability uh, in the kind of offense that the Bills want to run, a guy that can move around for being his size. Um, but I think maybe most importantly, obviously, I think we all know the Bills need an anchor uh, offensively on, on the offensive line, and they need a guy that can be around for more than a couple years. And what I love about Matt Paradis is a lot of what I love about Morse, except maybe more so, is that I think he has more mobility than Morse does. The problem is he's 31 years old, and can you build around a 31-year-old center? I don't think so. Can you build around a Roger Saffold who's 32 years old? I, don't, I wouldn't want to. I, you know, I start to look at some of these offensive lines. Can they help you? For this year, yes. Could they help you in 2019? Sure. Could they help you in 2020? Maybe. Can they help you in 2021? Uh, I don't know. Like That's why guys like Trent Brown, Mitchell Morris, guys that the, the reason that they'll become available is because of the reasons that we talked about, right? Like like Trent Brown doesn't have a great history other than last year, and Mitchell Morris has, doesn't have a great history other than this year because of his injury problems. The problem is what you're banking on is when you, when they, when you bring them in here that they can stay healthy and, and continue to build on their careers because they're young players. And still. you're already gambling. And you're already gambling with the Bills' money. But here's you're, the thing. You're unless talking about unless you're drafting one, though, you're, you are gambling on offensive line. You just, I just threw my glasses. You just underscored the exact reason why this player is going to probably be the top of the free agent class. I think His Matt Paradis will end up being the top paid center. Top paid center on a two or three year deal. On a long-term contract, you're talking about signing Mitch Morris. He's going to be he, – he's the guy five you years. think of when – Yeah, five-year deal when you're going big game hunting for a, for a center that you can build around. You know what I don't want to do is build my offense around a center who already has severe – has had a severe concussion yeah, to the point that I, I got him. severe concussions. And look at me. I'm here. I'm functionable. I'm at your podcast. You're no, podcasting. Not. You're not out there taking <laughs> blows to the skull. Also – I hate the fact that, A, because he's got this injury history, 
Yet he's young. He's mobile. He's big. He's got this one season in front of Patrick Mahomes to build off of and build his case to be a highly paid player. This is a trap to me. Mm. Mitch Morse represents irresponsible spending when you talk about, I'm going to give a five-year contract to a guy who hasn't been routinely healthy. He has not been healthy. And so if you overpay for a guy who hasn't proven that he can do something that you are banking on him to do, at the money you're going to pay to get him, because there's going to be a bidding war, then you are fucked. You are fucked. You... Climb to the top of New Era Field and jump off the scoreboard. What did we hear earlier? Judicious spending. Thank I, you. I don't know much about Mitch Morse, but I do know this. A concussed Mitch Morse is better than an unconcussed Ryan Groy. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> a concussed... Uh, has a handicap sticker is better <laughs> than Ryan Groy. And is probably better than the other guy. And I don't even want to say his name because I don't even think it's really worth mentioning. Seagram's bet. Mitch Morse okay. will not be in the Buffalo Bills uniform. You're not willing to take that. <laughs> oh, I'll put it on the board. Honestly, I, I would like a better player than Mitch right. Morse to, to bet on. All right. So Someone's let me stupid. Let I, me I, work. I, let me work down my list of people that I'm not a fan of because the next. You two... know what? You know what? I just just inspired that I need to make a third year in a row. I need to make a Browns bet. Oh, and I'm no. going to make two Browns bets. Oh Jesus! Do All you right. have a death wish? Which lay, lay it on us right now. Well, you know what I'm going to do? Lay it on us. The Browns are going to make the playoffs next year. Whoa! You heard it here. Wait! 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 wait. wait. The Browns are going to win the division and make the playoffs next year. Oh. Oh. All right. Seagrams, put right. it down. I want, it. I want that bet. I'll take that bet. I want that bet. I will yeah. take that bet. Holy that shit, too. folks. That just happened. Things... I don't know where it came from. It just came from like I, I feel it's all like, these moose heads. I feel like Ron Burgundy, Ron Burgundy and Anchorman just sitting sitting back at my desk. It's that going, wow. Quickly. That escalated quickly. <laughs> you killed a guy with a trident, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> You may want to lay low. You were holding a grenade. I think you're wanted for murder. Speaking of murder, I'm about to murder this next one. Wide receiver John Brown. Fuck that guy, too. I've heard enough. I've seen so many different Bills-related outlets. Pegging Brown as a target for the Bills. Well, it's because he was a target last I I I thought he was signed, according to Bills Fanatics. <laughs> I love just the out of left field shade that Chris is able to throw sometimes. I, here's what I'll say. I I see where the mindset comes from. Like you said, he was a target last year. He's back on the market. He's a year older. But I'm not going to lie to you. I you have a Robert F- you have a guy like John Brown on the roster already who costs you less. I mean, I'm just taking a look at this. Yes, our offense was bad. No, he didn't have the yardage that he had. Well, actually, it kind of almost. You look at what John Brown did with the Ravens last year. He had 715 yards and five touchdowns. Robert Foster, at a fraction, fraction, fraction of what John Brown cost, put up 541 yards in just 13 games. And he three touchdowns. And I think the thing that blows my mind is his yards per reception was three yards higher than John Brown's. That's it. You're a down if you're a downfield threat and we have a guy who's showing he has the chops to do it, why do I need to pay you seven million dollars a year? Get the fuck out of here. Uh 
I think John Brown's numbers got hurt really bad by Lamar Jackson. By having a quarterback who has a 70% completion percentage to tight ends and then d- b- Doesn't do much else. less than 20 to his wide Doesn't receivers? Doesn't do much else. You think that hurt his numbers? Doesn't do much else. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that hurt his numbers. Not a big John Brown fan. I didn't really love their want for him in the first place. Um I think at his best, I think in his best situation, he's a wide receiver three in, in, in an ideal situation. But he'll end up being elevated to a two or a one this offseason, and he'll probably be one of the, the higher paid wide receivers um, in free agency this year. Not, not, not a See, guy that I'm, I'm and looking that's for. A f- and then your boy Terrell Williams. Let's talk about this because you want to talk about guys who are getting overpaid. I'd love Holy to. Holy fuck. Okay. I'd love to talk about Terrell Williams. He claims that he's a number one wide receiver and wants, four, four. And wants to be four. paid like one. Mm-hmm. But he's only had one starter. St- like, when you look at starter statistics, these are the numbers that I want to see from my number one, let's call it an $11 million a year wide receiver. Okay? My Sammy Watkins contract. I expect to see damn near 1,000 yards and at least seven touchdowns. If, if Terrell offense, Williams is a top two receiver, I think he's a thousand yard receiver on this team. On the and there's the rub on this football team. But who's a thousand yard receiver on the on the 2019 Bills? Probably is, no one. Is, is Antonio spe- Brown a thousand yard receiver? I don't no, know. So, which is why not. spending that money. This is when we talk about judicious spending. You want to talk about they spent five million last year. If they spent fifteen million on wide receiver position, not what would that rank them? Here's what I'll say. What would that rank them? What would 15 million for the wide receiver position rank them in the league? 21st? No, they would probably be somewhere in the, uh, I'd say, High teens? teens. Low teens. Fine. Low teens. And would they be any better off at 15 million with Terrell Williams? I, I don't know, but here's what I do know. Chris, I've made some pretty solid player comparisons when it comes to identifying people and comparing them to old bills that nobody liked. I, I called I called Duran Lee Keith Ellison 2.0, and so far that's coming true. Yeah, that's the only that's the only one that sticks in my mind. Okay, well here's it's, a, it's more prominent when you say I hate that the Bills drafted this player. Matt Milano, <laughs> um, I mean, Trey, I White. Trey White, um, uh, Josh you, Allen. Seems like um, a lot of them have been coming yeah. back to haunt. Yes. That, that, yeah. that, Go figure. The, as soon as I started hating the drafts, that's when they started but, getting but good. But you're better, so fuck me, you're, right? you're better with free agency, like Zach Brown. Yes. I called Zach Brown. I called Zach Brown. I said he would be a good fit. Yeah. And then I felt, he like as the season wore on, I knew he overplayed his contract and we couldn't keep him. Terrell Williams, if I have a comp for this guy, just based on everything you just said, Big guy, runs fast, down the field. He seems like he's everything you want, which is exactly why he is Peerless Price 2.0. Second time around or first time around? (laughs) First time hitting free agency. Someone out there two to three years from now is going to have buyer's remorse because they went out and spent $11 to $12 million on Terrell Williams. Somebody out there in the NFL is going to do it. And maybe he does, like Peerless Price, go crawling back to the Chargers for one last hurrah with an actual like Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't want the team that has that buyer's remorse to be the Buffalo Bills. I don't. 
The guy had one solid season. Everything else he's done has been mediocre. There's nothing to... Yes, you're a big physical guy. Well, guess what? There's a million athletes trying to make the NFL. Jason Kroom is a giant physical guy who runs fast down the field. Does that make him a number one wide receiver? Does he make him a number one tight end? It's, to me, when I look at free agency and I see the things that people come up with, I understand why. This one chaps my ass because you're asking for disaster if you pay this guy $12 million because what has he done? If you but you want, wouldn't be paying him because of what he did. It's what he could do. Which is where you fall on your face more Maybe, often than but, not. But that's more it. so what you're paying guys in free agency for. But, it's yeah, because of what they've done. It's because of what they could do. And I just got done reiterating why so many teams this season didn't get a return on investment for what they paid for in the offseason. And if you go to that article over at Field Goals, you'll see there's a laundry list of them. It's about 40 players long of wide receivers who switch teams, and their investment, the team's investment, just did not bear fruit. I do not want to be on the hook for an albatross of a contract for another, maybe not a Kelvin Benjamin, who because his problem was just effort. I don't want a high-motor guy who just can't contribute on the level that he's being paid. I don't want that. I'd rather, I'd rather, I hate to say this, I would rather keep looking for five to six million dollar a year guys and hoping they pan out mm. than doing the same thing at double. The problem the is the five, six million guys, they're not traditionally the five, six million dollar guys is Terrell Williams, is the guy that hasn't done it yet, but you're trying, but you're paying for what you think they could be. See, I thought you were going to comp him to an undead James Hardy. <laughs> oh an undead God. James Hardy. Wow! Jesus! I love it. It's the hair. It's the I hair. missed the boat on that. Pure, By the way, I didn't see Peerless Price coming. And so, Nate, I've obviously got some axes to grind. Is there anybody out there that you see is overrated? Probably, most likely, if you want to call them most likely to get overpaid and bone somebody, who do you think they're going to be? Any candidates that come to mind? Le'Veon Bell. Thank you. Somebody said it. Because he's going to get paid a lot of money, and he's a running back. See, now, if I say something like that, I just sound like an asshole I do who's bitter like that we're not going to get him. I'd like to say that. I'd like him as a player, but you look at what the Steelers were able to do without him. Who? I don't like to use that as an example as why I don't think he's worth it. Because I, I just think that that offense is unique. I think that what they have at the other positions is unique, and I think anyone could thrive in that offense. It doesn't mean that anyone could thrive in any offense. And I think it's important to to have context to that that that's a that's very fair. that's a very unique offense because they're getting a ton of five man boxes. Yes, and not a lot of teams just have tons of five man boxes, and a lot of running backs in the NFL, a lot of running backs in the AAF could be in the <laughs> NFL if they were running against five man boxes regularly. Yeah, but they don't. So I also think that his patient style of running. Also works when there's five and six man boxes, not when there's seven and eight man boxes. No, so well, and that's why I think Lashawn McCoy was spe- when you watch what he was able to do over the last two or three seasons, it, it's special because he was seeing more loaded fronts than anyone else in football, and yet he was still finding ways to be productive. So when you watch a guy who runs the way Le'Veon Bell does, where he kind of like to your point, it almost looks like he's not running, and then he finds that second gear and, and finds a crease. Gone. But that's you have to be a little more urgent. There's got to be more urgency to it when you're running. Like you look at uh, Derrick Henry, mm. the way Derrick Henry runs, 
You get that ball and he you runs mean though. And you hit. You hit the line of scrimmage as if you don't think you're gonna make it. And if you do make it, then fuck whoever's on the other side, because they're gonna get it. Without that, I don't know where he goes, but somebody's gonna have to pay him what? What's his contract gonna be on an on an average? You're talk I mean, he's talking about wanting Todd Gurley money. Is he worth Todd Gurley money? No, I, well, I don't I think, think so. The only way you could, you could pay him that is if he's going to a team that's got like a quarterback on a rookie deal. That's fair. Or Indianapolis. Yeah. They, or Indy, maybe. Yeah. Indy makes the most sense because they can overpay and the value for them isn't nearly the value. The, a $26 million value for Le'Veon Bell in Indy is a totally different $26 million value in Buffalo. Exactly. Totally different. Yeah, that's fair. Because that offense is is that player away. The Bills are not a Le'Veon Bell away from being no. a Super Bowl contender. No. So, outside of the guys that you like that I just slandered, I'm changing gears here a little bit. Who are some of the names that you like? Outside of the Terrell TJ Yeldon. Up top! Roll time! Woo! We should have a Dixie horn right now. TJ Yeldon and the, the potential name of Cameron Brait. Without the cap number that he... I wouldn't trade for Cameron Bray, but if he got cut and he became available, I would be open to Cameron Bray. Now, what is it that you like about T.J. Yeldon? What I like about T.J. Yeldon is his ability in the pass game. Um, yes. and And a guy that can be a good number two running back that doesn't necessarily give you the opposite skill set of LaShawn McCoy, but I think is in right in between a Chris Ivory and a LaShawn McCoy. I just look at the fact that when... He's a north-south runner. Yeah, and, and when you look at... When when you look at what the Bills have, I mean, like I said, we are spending more money than anybody else in football right now at the running back position next season, outside of Jacksonville. We're number two in the NFL already. They've said time and time again that they think LaShawn McCoy is a part of this offense long-term. Okay, great, wonderful. Well, you also are paying $2 million to a guy named Chris Ivory who essentially was supposed to be your short yardage back and really didn't thrive in that role. I mean, what he thrived in is in the pass game, he, to so, be quite honest. But so if you could find a guy who is more dynamic than him to replace him with on this yeah. roster, I would also venture that if that's a place you're looking to go, another draft, na- another, another Daryl Henderson, please. Another name that sticks out to me in free agency. Latavius Murray. Nah. Latavius Murray strikes Maybe me. Maybe without LaShawn McCoy. With LaShawn McCoy. You don't like him? No. No, no not at this point. Um, I just think TJ Yeldon's the one guy I'd pay because he's still young. I think he's 26. Yes. Uh, he was drafted. He came out and he was drafted young and he played through his rookie contract. He brings a level of play that I think the Bills could potentially use. But then you talk about Latavius Murray. He's a north-south runner. He's 30 years old. What is he going to... He's going to be basically making what Chris Ivory's making. So what about Mark Ingram? No. <laughs> you just say flat out no? No, because he's going to be a 10, 11, 12 million dollar Oh, yeah. Player. Somebody's going to pay him as a starting running back. It's going to be the Jets if they don't get Lave Bell. Or it's going to be Indianapolis if they don't get Love Bell. Now, at the offensive, on the offensive line, there's a couple... There's a guy that I like, and like I said... When I think about judicious spending, that's the quote I keep it keeps echoing in my head from Brandon Bean. I can't pronounce his last name. Ty, I'm gonna take a stab at it. Nseki, I don't know. 
He's an offensive. T- I've watched him play. I can't say his fucking name. He is a fantastic backup tackle. Okay. The Washington, you talk about the offensive line injuries that the Washington Redskins have seen over the last few years. Pretty crazy. It's, it's insane yeah. to see how injured their offensive line has been. So this backup tackle has gotten a lot of playing time. Here and there, they've used him as a left tackle. They've used, they've used him as a right tackle. He's proven decent at both positions. But So for being a guy who's in his late 20s, you know, he's starting to get up there towards 30, but he's only been used as a reserve and a swing tackle, he hasn't had the wear and tear on his body that a lot of guys have. And yet when he's been asked to come into the lineup, he's thrived. With that said, he seems like a guy who's ready to make the jump to a team that's willing to pay him the right amount of money. Now, this is where... And he's I, Washington's Ryan Groy. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> no, he's not. He's, he's... What he is... I'm trying to think of a... I'm trying to think of a comp here. Because you're, you're trying to find a guy who was underrated, didn't get a shot, and then when he got a shot, he did well. I, I can't think of one offhand. Maybe it's the Moosehead. I don't know. But... Could be the Moosehead. Here's what I'll say. You talk about the importance of your pro scouting department. Our head of pro scouting just got an assistant GM job somewhere. Okay? He's now working in Miami as an assistant GM. Our pro scouting has done pretty well. I'm hoping that they left them the groundwork to find guys like this guy, who you're not going to have to pay Mitch Morse money. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have to go out there and pay Trent Brown money. But at the same time, he can come in and be just as effective for you if you feel like he fits your scheme. I mean, it, it's just moves. That's why he's incredibly interesting to me. You know, for those of you, the spelling of it is N-S-E-K-H-E. Go out there, Google it. I'm not making this shit up, and I've watched him. I think the kid could be good. At the same time, at the wide receiver position, there's two guys that you didn't mention that I think could be useful here in Buffalo and wouldn't run you a king's ransom. First of all, guy won in the first go round, Malcolm Floyd at no. wide receiver. Oh, here we go. You don't no. like it. Explain to me why. Explain to me why. What do you mean? I, I want to get the table out like that means. Like you said Michael Floyd, right? Malcolm Floyd. Do <laughs> you know who that is? I don't know who that is. Oh, Jesus. Maybe I did. Oh, fuck. Michael Floyd. I'm an idiot. It's a, who Malcolm Floyd? I don't Malcolm know who that Floyd. is. It's definitely Michael Floyd, former Notre Dame Golden. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's and Michael Floyd. You love Notre he, Dame. He DWI'd the, the DWI Michael Floyd. Yes, that guy. From guy. played in uh, Minnesota this year. What if? We, how about this? What if instead of giving? Him Holy a, shit! I wrote Michael and said Malcolm three different times. Okay, well, how about this? Okay, what if we don't give him a key to the city? We just give him a key to venue. I. <laughs> well, that's that's that would be you would be considered an enabler. Why don't you think he's a fit? I see a big possession receiver who who has some physicality. He's bounced around the league since being drafted in Arizona. So he was drafted in Arizona. He didn't get his fifth year option. He ended up going. Didn't he go to New England? To New England. To New England. You can't then work out in New England. Didn't dress well, actually, for the Super Bowl. Actually, he went to Minnesota, and then he got cut from Minnesota and signed by New England. And then went back to Minnesota because he played in Minnesota this year. No, he played for the Redskins this year. You're right. 
You're right. Play for the Redskins. Either way, I mean that that's like a, a I, flyer. You're taking a flyer on a guy. Okay, like that. and guess what? I'm gonna play. I'm gonna pay flyer money. Loved him at Notre Dame big, when he was with Golden Tate. Big physical because I'm looking at wide receivers who can help a rushing attack. But right now, I don't see a physical wide receiver on this roster. Zay Jones. Okay, run blocker. In the words, Isaiah McKenzie, too small to pull it off. Robert Foster doesn't have the body type for it. If he's our fifth receiver and you pay him $4 million a year to go out there and be the guy who comes out and run blocks, Andre Holmes couldn't do it. In, Maybe in, the, this words, guy. in the words of America's pedestooled whore, and her name is Ariana Grande, thank you, next. Let's, <laughs> let's move on to the next. Cordero Patterson. I'd be open to Cordero Patterson. You're talking about a guy who has versatility. But if Cordell Patterson is going to make what? At most $2 million. That's it. I'd pay him for and if and if, and if if New England said, I wouldn't pay him for it. I would pay him too. <laughs> You're high. You're talking about getting a guy who can be your kick returner, your punt returner. He can he can be jet sweeps. He, do, he can do all the things Isaiah McKenzie was being used for, <laughs> except just, he's twice his size. Just give me, just give me Isaiah McKenzie. For, oh. for nine hundred thousand. Well, we haven't had a, a kick returner, punt returner since I'd say uh, T. McGee. McGee. Yeah, McGee. Maybe Roscoe Parrish. At no. four million, five million dollars a year, I would take a guy like Cordero Patterson because we've seen how he can. That's be too expensive for me. It's too expensive for me. Yeah, come on, Drew. Judi- it's too expensive oh, for a fifth judicious. wide receiver, oh, good, a third go. running back, and your number one good, returner. Good, let's judicious. go. Good, let's go spend eleven million on Ty Williams. That's I was a good idea. thinking maybe uh, Tyron Jones, but nah. uh, to, to whatever his name is, Tyron Jones is that his name? Are you talking about Tavon Austin? No, I'm talking about because if not, I'll th- if you are, I'll throw you right the fuck the out of here. Third running back, fourth running back, <laughs> Tyron Jones, Tyron Jones, Tyron Jones, yeah. yes. Jones. Um, no. Anybody else that you're a fan of in this process? That's maybe not being talked about? Yeah. That nobody's really heard about because everybody has their own. Like, I've, I've brought some offensive... Brandon Even, Graham. Okay. He's See, got a, he's got a Bills, he's got a McDermott connection. Now you've got my attention. Um, he's a legitimate, he's still, I think, a, a good enough pass rusher defensive end in a 4-3 scheme. I think the Bills could, could stand at a veteran. I also think the Bills shouldn't – listen, I, I think that Dallas is in a really interesting situation, right? They've got to re-sign both or all three of Amari Cooper, Ezekiel Elliott, and Dak Prescott. They've got a lot of cap space, but they've got three pillars on offense they need to sign. Defensively, they're going to let Sean Lee go. That's going to open up some space for them, right? Is it enough space with the other three that they're going to give Demarcus Lawrence a 75 to $100 million contract? No. Do I think the Bills would be willing to give anyone $75 to a million, $100 million contract? I think for the right person, they might. I think DeMarcus Lawrence, if, if, if the Bills were going to go big on one guy, I would want it to be DeMarcus Lawrence. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're talking about us going out in free agency and spending a ton of money on a defensive end? Dude, we have Shaq Lawson and Trent Murphy. What? <laughs> What an idiot! Oh, what a loser! Be that as it may. The, the idea is, folks, there are moves out there to be made. The team has a lot of money to spend. We all have differing opinions on how they should go about doing it. It's going to be, I'm telling you, it's exciting to see that the team finally has the latitude. Because last season, 
I mean, Brandon Bean took a lot of ownership of it. I give him credit for that. The thing that scares me as we wrap all this up, Nate, it's easier to tear something down than it is to build it up. A lot of GMs, I shouldn't say a lot of GMs have done exactly what Bean did because I feel like we've watched GM after GM after yeah. GM come in here for the Buffalo Bills and try to just piecemeal together a team while carrying the previous GM, the previous GM's uh, dead weight. Their you know, their trunk full of just atrocities, some dead prostos in there. Like it was just they sounds just, like a Trump campaign. They, they just kept dealing with all this shit. So now you're talking about a GM who finally came in and said enough's enough. I'm going to take one season, and yes, we are going to be bad. <laughs> We're going to take $50 million of our cap and just let it go. And we're going to field a semi-competitive roster. I look at where we finished in the standings and I say to myself, 6-10 and 10, with $50 million in dead money. That $50 million could have been two to three to four players on this roster that could have made a difference. Mm. That could have shifted that win ratio here or there. Yes, there was a lot of blowouts. There were also some games that were right there. Right there. Could have gone one way or the other. So with that, I look at this and I feel confident heading into this because I've got a GM who's saying flat out, I'm not going to overspend and put this team in a bad situation. He's saying all the right things about what he wants to do with setting himself up for the draft. Knowing what just an atrocity the talent level of our offense is compared to the rest of the NFL. Are you working up to another Seagram's bet right now? I'm working up to it. Okay. That sounds like you are. Nate, where and I think you... the number is 25, by the way. But go ahead. Keep talking. <laughs> the number is 25. I think I... the number is 25. What is 25? I think our bet is the Bills finish 25th or better. And I'm going to take 25th or better on offense. What are you going to take? I still feel like because they're going to spend money, folks. Yes. This team still has a way to go to gel. And like you said, Nate. Chris, what do you think? Do you think it, he's going to take the under it's on the It's in the draft. That's where you. F- this is where we. This free agent period is where we find the grout that holds matter. together our cornerstones. It doesn't matter who we're talking about. We know the reason they'll either be twenty fifth or better, or twenty fifth or worse. And we know dra- what the reason will be. And It'll dra- be because of the quarterback position. And draft picks are what's going to make this team. And those draft picks need time to acclimate. The team will finish worse than twenty fifth. I'm taking. I'll the take twenty fifth or better. There it is. Twenty fifth or Jesus. better. So if Mark- twenty five or twenty four. That's the, that's my that's my third Seagram's bet because not only did not only did Cleveland have to win the division, they've got to also make the playoffs. But if they win the division, they're obviously going to make the playoffs. So maybe that's like a two pronged one bet. Yeah, it is. If they make the playoffs, you still have to drink one. If they don't win the division, I agree. Yeah, but I'm, I'm totally. I, I don't know if you saw on the Seagram's bet board out there. I've already said that we're in the playoffs. The Bills. The Bills are going to make the, the Bills playoffs. are 2019 playoffers. Yes, uh, or playoff ease. Yeah, we're getting in the playoffs. Okay. All I can say is this. I will see you both in hell. Both well, in you are s- going to see us either way. So. Both in Bahama Mama flavored hell. Folks, thank you so much for showing up tonight. We very much appreciate it. Nate, tell all the people when they can hear you on the radio and where they can find you on social Nowadays, media. Nowadays. Nowadays, I, uh, I split every other Saturday with uh, my esteemed colleague, Sal Capaccio, who, by the way, I just awarded the nicest Bills Beat Reporter Award to last week. I got best hair on Twitter amongst podcasters. Amongst 
I voted. It was you, worse hair. Best it was hair. worse hair. I saw uh, it. Best hair amongst people we've never seen before. Chris. Yes. I should be on a billboard in Buffalo. Uh, anyways, uh, so Sal and I, we split Sports Talk Saturdays during non-bill season. Um, you can find my work at WGR.radio.com. .radio.com. .radio.com. Uh, you can check us out there. Uh, my work will be up there. I've also got a five-part series coming out on CoverOne.com uh, of my top five quarterbacks for this upcoming draft. It doesn't mean anything to you guys now because of the Bills of Josh Allen. Isn't it CoverOne.net? Um, it is CoverOne.net. Did I say .com? Yes. I meant to say .net. Thank you for correcting Cover me. One.net. CoverOne.net. Uh, that is where you can find my top five quarterback work coming out. Uh, obviously, I am also on the Cover One. Buffalo podcast from time to time. I haven't been recently because I travel a lot and I work a lot. Uh, but I will be making appearances from the, from time and time again from there. Uh, otherwise, it's basically, you know, wait until next football season to hear me, you know, four times a weekend. And I, we can't wait for that to listen for the sheer enjoyment of mm. listening to you having to deal with all the post game callers. <laughs> and just the way he looked at that. <laughs> He just looked at his beer. Oh, it's it's like a man thinking about Vietnam. Just oh, I've no. been through a lot. <laughs> I've seen a lot, folks. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Follow his work. It's an at Nate Geary WGR. You bet. He does a great job. They've been thinking about ripping the WGR tag away from my Twitter, but the hell they will. The (laughs) hell they will. All the other Nate Geary's in the world that want that Well, there's one, and he's my cousin, and he's a great diver. He's an Olympic diver, but I'm the more successful one. You're the more successful one. (laughs) Guys, make sure you you check out the link in in the description tonight. Great article if you're really interested in the nuts and bolts and the failings of free agency just across the board. And why not being judicious the way Brandon Bean's talking about really will fail you. And also, Wise Guys Pizza. Supplied the, they supplied the podcast tonight. Nate Geary was pumped that he got some. It's been a while. I took it. I took it. By the way, uh, because of Chris's unbelievable ability to edit, no one will know other than me telling them right now that I took a 10-minute poop in the middle of this show. <laughs> Folks, right in the middle. On that note, we really do have to go. <laughs> this It's been a lot of fun. I feel like this has been one of the first really just football-centric podcasts we've done in a long time. And I'm, I'm it's got me fired up for the off-season program. We've got a lot more coming for you, so stick around. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That's Nate Geary. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.